Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about empowering startup leaders for success and resilience. And today we have our guest, Kenneth Berger, joining us. Kenneth, Kenneth is the executive coach at Kenneth Berger Coaching with over two decades of experience in the tech industry. He's empowered leaders from startups like Typeform, Dribble, and Fastly, guiding them to tackle challenges, combat burnout, and achieve their desired life paths. Serving as a trusted confidant to multiple CEOs, Kenneth equips them with the tools to succeed in the dynamic tech world. He has a wealth of experience in technology, with his mission is to assist startup leaders in defining their goals, standing up for their aspirations, and embracing the world's response. His unique insights, uh, garnered from years as a founder, operator, and executive coach, enable him to guide tech leaders in achieving their potential while addressing the opportunities and challenges inherent to the industry, which you guys know all about. So welcome, Kenneth. Super excited to have you on the show today. Awesome. Very glad to be here. So, you know, this was, this was exciting. I know I love your approach, the, the way you explain things and, you know, how you look at this for where a lot of startup founders are maybe not thinking about this. So one word you brought up, which is, a, uh, which is the topic of this episode is about resilience. And I think that is a key word as, you know, I, I've been you know, pondering a lot over the last few months on how to really develop that. Uh, because I think that's a, a key trait that I look for even when I do investments in, in, in founders is, you know, the, the more resilient they are, they, I find the, Generally, they're they're better at you know dealing with the day to day challenges and, and lead to better success. Um, but you know you you approach it from a different angle, which you talk about the hero, the victim, and the villain archetype, um, which you know happens in business, but also in, in you know day to day life. But I'd love to if you can explain a little bit more about that, how they manifest in the behaviors and challenges faced by startup founders, and what strategies or approaches you've developed to help founders identify and uh, navigate what their respective archetype is. Uh, sure. Happy, happy to share that. Um, so, you know, for me, you know, when we talk about resilience, um, it's really about like, what can we do internally? Because I think a lot of people and a lot of founders, especially, I think it's stuck in this, this place of trying to find solutions externally, right? To say, oh, if I get this, you know, this next customer or this next investor or this next hire, then things will be okay, right? Then <laughs> I'll feel safer or things will be easier or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the reality is, right, like we don't control any of that, right? And and mm -hmm. and looking for, for those, um, you know, the sort of external sources of safety is kind of sets us up to fail in a certain way, right? It's hard to be resilient if you're constantly looking to the outside to these things you don't control to feel okay day to day. Mm -hmm. Um and so when I talk about, you know, the hero, the victim and villain archetypes, it's really about starting to look within to say, okay, sure, I've got all these challenges on the outside, these goals, but I don't control any of that, right? Mm -hmm. The thing mm -hmm. I do control is what's in the inside. And often we have these stories we tell ourselves that are actually holding us back. And so, um, you know, obviously every person is unique, but these archetypes really speak to a lot of what I've seen seen in clients, um, because we we sort of tend to fall into to one of a, a few buckets there. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so, you know, when I think about the hero archetype, these are the folks that are always out there saving the day, right? And and so often often what I hear from them is, you know, you know, I've got some challenges here, some things that are are tricky, but it's really all fine. It's fine. You know, maybe I'm working 14 hours a day and I can't hire anyone and I'm running out of money, but it's totally fine. We'll be okay. Um, and, and so this is, you know, admirable in a certain way. Right. And, and, you know, of course, you know, I think some people would look at that and say, oh, you know, how tough, how resilient, mm -hmm. but really when you're saying, oh, everything's fine when it's not fine, 
you're depriving yourself of a lot of important information, right? Of like, how do I actually solve this? If you're telling yourself it's fine, you're not even articulating that, no, this isn't fine. Like there is there is a challenge here. Or there's a goal that I have or, or, or a change that I want to make. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying everything's fine, then you can't even begin to start that process of actually going out and asking for what you want. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, that's that's that that hero archetype saying everything's fine. Then the the victim archetype is more about oh, like I don't I don't have what it takes, and that can be sort of a deep thing of like oh, like you know I like I I don't have what it takes to be a, a great SaaS founder, or it can be sort of a more uh, you know operational thing like oh, I haven't learned sales yet, so you know I can't. I can't be a salesperson for our company until I've taken a sales course or I've read a sales book or I've taken a sales training. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is, there tends to be this idea of, oh, I don't have what it takes. I'm missing something, right? So mm-hmm. here you think about like imposter syndrome, right? Of like, oh, I don't quite have what it takes to do X. Mm-hmm. And and this is, you know, this is something that I think is very pervasive and natural in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that, you know, I really, you know, take a strong stand for with clients. If, no, you're not missing anything, right? Like we all have what we need to succeed already. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to get every dream that we have, but taking that approach of, no, I have everything I need. Maybe I want to read a book or I want to take a course or I want to learn more about sales, but it's not that I'm missing something or I'm not good enough or, or you know, I'm stuck. It's say, yeah, I have everything I need and I can go forward and I can take action on that. And, uh, you know, between those two, so you mentioned the hero, the victim, and what would be the villain one? The villain one is, is more, is more around blame, right? Because mm-hmm. I think where, where, where the hero says everything is fine and the victim says, oh, like I don't have what it takes or I'm missing something. Mm. The villain tends to say, oh, it's not me. It's all you guys. It's your fault. Right. Mm. And so, you know, the villain perspective, I think, is very tempting, right? Because it's always it's always so easy to to say, oh, it's everyone else's fault, right? And so there's nothing that I can do. And yet I find the villain perspective is is very disempowering because it says, yeah, there's nothing I can do because everyone else is in control and it's and it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, often, you know, the other thing I notice with, with villain archetype folks is maybe a sense of entitlement. If like, I'm owed this. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this, mm-hmm. this customer has to sign, right? This employee, you know, has to accept, right? Or, or, or maybe this employee has to accept my feedback and do exactly what I tell them to do. Right. That's a yeah. really, really common one. Right. If like I want this person to behave this way, I'm paying them. Why don't they do it? Mm-hmm. And the tough thing is, is that we don't control anyone, even if they're an employee, even if you're paying them, right? Like we can't, we don't have full control over other people. And in fact, uh, you know, real, um, delegation often comes from letting go of control of saying, yeah, I'm not going to be able to control exactly how this employee does it, but it means that I'm going to get to scale, right? They'll be able to mm-hmm. do something that I can't do on my own. Um, and so for the villain, like often the challenge is letting go of these ideas of entitlement and blame and saying, you know what? I'm not entitled to anything, right? Of really yeah. trying to take a more humble stance and saying, I'm just going to ask nicely. Right. And there'll be consequences if, 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 you know, people don't do what I ask if they're an employee. Right. Cause I have some control over that. But often the journey for them is really about letting go of that blame and taking more ownership of how they can set some boundaries um, and build better relationships by not putting all this blame on other people. Cause obviously that, you know, ten, tends to create some tension, as you might imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, in, in each of those three archetypes you described, I mean, it sounds like, you know, folks are, stuck because we get stuck in our own stories and um in, in any of those it may be that we're just not radically 
honest with ourselves uh, to be able to then break free of that story and then, you know, maybe find better solutions and be able to grow. Um, does that sound kind of accurate? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That, you know, it's, and in a way to, it's, to me, it's really inspiring because we say, oh, it's not that I need to wait on some uncontrollable external thing. I could just stop believing this thing that I've been believing maybe for a long time for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that's going to unlock all kinds of possibility for me. If I just believe I have what it takes, nobody owes me anything, mm-hmm. um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it sounds easier than, than, than you speak. I mean, it definitely sounds easier than actually doing it in, in, in real life and applying it. Um, you know, what, so what are some actionable strategies that you, you know, uh, you work with startup founders or teams to help them break out of those, those cycles? You know, one that I've thought about a lot you know, outside of just, uh, you know, within the business realm is, is traveling. You know, I, I think, you know, things like a gap year or you know, traveling for, for a long time, you break out of your perspective, you get new, um, you know, just a shake up of your, of your day to day and your routine. I think you know, maybe that gives your mind a little bit of space to, um, be able to think of new stories or uh, understand that you're actually stuck in a story. But outside of that, you know, if they can't, obviously if that's not a one option that founders have, how do you work with them to get out of it um, without, you know, interrupting their day-to-day work? Well, I actually think that travel example is is a great one, right? Because part mm-hmm. of what we often do when we travel is mm-hmm. we shake ourselves up. We get out of our comfort zone. We go into mm-hmm. an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar customs. Mm-hmm. And part of what we usually realize is, oh, I'm going to be okay anyway. Even if I can't eat my normal food or follow my normal routine or have the people around that are normally around, I'm still okay. Mm. And so to me, that's part of what's underneath all these kinds of journeys is learning that everything's going to be okay. The stakes are not as high as they seem. Mm -hmm. Because I think that like that, that sort of fundamental fear, right, that can come up of like, oh, like, am I not safe? Am I not going to be okay? I think mm-hmm. that's really pervasive on the founder journey where people get scared of like, am, am I going to lose my whole reputation as everyone to see me as a failure? And of course, if you start believing like, oh, my entire reputation and my future rests on the success of this company, of course, you're going to be terrified. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the the practice is, is, is really reminding yourself again and again and again of actually everything's going to be okay. Even mm-hmm. if this company crashes and burns, guess what? I can found another company. I can get another job. None of this is life or death. Um, because these these instincts we have are really old, right? This is caveman stuff, like fight or flight. And so it might feel like you're being chased by a bear, but you're not being chased by a bear, right? You're just on a Zoom meeting talking to somebody, right? So there's no physical danger. Yeah. But, but we need those reminders because we forget again and again. And to me, what that practice looks like, it's like going to the gym, right? Of like mm-hmm. getting, getting those reps in to remind yourself, I'm safe. Everything's going to be fine. No matter mm-hmm. what happens, like I'm going to be okay. And when we, re- we remember that on a more consistent basis, all sorts of possibilities are opened up, right? Because we're not so mm-hmm. scared, right? The stakes seem much lower. Yeah. Can, can you speak a little bit about... Um burnout as a result of maybe, you know, getting stuck in these stories and loops. I know a lot of startup founders eventually may lead to burnout. You know, sometimes we receive a lot of founders who want to sell their company um, just because, you know, they've been working on this business for five, six, seven years. Um, they've, you know, hit some kind of growth plateau. Um, they've lost the energy and the, the excitement of the business. But a lot of time it's, it seems like, you know, the, the, the common word is burnout. And it, it's just because they, you know, they, they need to, something to shake up and they're, they're struggling to advance as, as, and grow as much as they'd like. Uh, but, you know, it can happen at different stages of the journey. But I'd love to hear from you, you know, how does that fear kind of play in and perfectionism contribute to burnout? And then what are some common behaviors that you see from from this fear that maybe people who are listening in 
can see if they can identify and maybe work through as well. Sure, of course. Um, so when I when I think about burnout, right, you you end up you see all these people doing these behaviors from the outside. You know, might look crazy, right? Like, how have you been working? 14 hours a day for for nine months straight, right? Or for mm-hmm. two years straight or whatever, whatever it is, right? So people don't do these things, especially not over these long periods, unless they have a really, really strong motivation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hopefully, right, in the best case scenario, it's a positive motivation of, oh, I'm so excited about this vision I'm creating. I'm willing to sacrifice all this other stuff and I'm doing it on purpose. Unfortunately, that's pretty rare, right? And that's often what I'm helping coach folks towards, and so instead, it is that fear, right? Of like, well, I don't feel like I have a choice because unless I work these 14-hour days every day, then, you know, whatever, you know, pick pick your disaster scenario. Like, I'm going to fail. And what does it mean to be a failure? Am I going to be, you know, disappointment to my family? Or um, am I never going to get a job again? Am I not going to have money, right? You know, different people have different ideas of what that worst case scenario is. Um, and so to me, a lot of the burnout behaviors are associated with that sort of fundamental fear of failure. And so really a lot of the way you work your way out of burnout is I think first the stuff we just talked about, right? Of being able to build that habit of, oh, this is, I'm not being chased by a bear. Like the the consequences are not actually as as terrible as they seem. And by starting to edge into that and allowing consequences to happen, um, then we can start to get that felt experience of, oh, like it's not just that, like I'm not as scared anymore. I've actually let this thing happen and it wasn't as bad as I thought, mm-hmm. right? So an example might be like an awkward feedback conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you've been having conflict with someone or you have feedback that you've been withholding because you say, oh, it's so awkward. I don't know how they're going to react. I don't want to have this conversation. Um, and so I'm avoiding it and it's causing me all this stress and doubling my work, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so even a small step like that to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and have that awkward feedback conversation. Right. That gives you a chance to build that felt experience that, oh, this actually wasn't that bad. Like it was uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but I was able to tolerate that discomfort. And maybe the person took it well, maybe they didn't, but either way, they dealt with it. I dealt with it. And so that's the way we learn over time. Like, yeah, I can do hard things. Right. If I can Mm -hmm. tolerate working 14 hour days, I can certainly tolerate having an uncomfortable conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just feelings. Right. I can move through it anyway. How much? So it sounds like you know the feelings is what kind of gets blocked up, right? You're stuck in the fear. You know, I didn't reach. Uh, we didn't reach our, our five million ARR uh, benchmark. We didn't raise, um, you know, our, our next round or a Series A round. So you know, when when those things are not met, or you know, these big goals that we set, and if we, it basically feels like you said, like we're we're basically dying and we've lost everything about ourselves. Um, but really, it's it's not that big of a deal, right? So if you if you if you look at it from an outside perspective, but in our own minds, um, it is that big of a deal that it's like a. a a uh, death or, or or live kind of situation, um, but you know, I, I'm curious to know, you know, from when it leads out to that stage of burnout or where there's an overwhelm of the emotions, how much of the uh, of those re- resolutions are because of un- avoiding awkward, uncomfortable conversations or those, you know, uh, those feedback conversations you talked about? Uh, I think that's a really common scenario, right? I mean, yeah. I think so so often actually where people start you know, working with me is they say, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I've been trying to influence Mm -hmm. this person, whether, you know, it's an investor or an employee, and they just keep saying no, and I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, that, 
you know, that that's that 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 sense of of stuckness of like, how do I influence this person? What do I do when I say no? Uh, or what do I do when other people say no? To me, that's a really fundamental question that has to do a lot with feelings, right? How do I how do I how do I tolerate this feeling of disappointment or anger or frustration that I get when someone says no? And so to me, the question is, how do we move through that and actually start learning from it? So a no doesn't feel like a failure or the end of a line, but just as iteration, right? The way you might iterate on product to say, oh yeah, well, I got a no, which is totally normal and fine. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to keep learning from those no's and iterating and trying different things um, and seeing that as normal and good and just part of you know progress as a business as opposed to negative and bad and problematic. Yeah, makes sense. So, I mean, if, if founders, you know, the founders you work with, it seems like you work with folks in, in the startup space. Um, what are, what, how are you guys, how are you working with the, the founders and the teams to, you know, help the founders maybe break out of their, their burnouts or their patterns, but then also promote that culture of resilience among their entire team? What, how do you, what do you typically do when you're working with founders? So it's a, it's a great question because I think, especially with, with founders, um, there's both the sort of personal dimension, right? So all the things we've been talking about in terms of working through their own um, kind of, you know, beliefs that might be holding them back or challenges they have as an individual. Mm -hmm. And they have the opportunity to make a broader cultural impact on the organization, right? In the terms of this is how we do things here. Um, and so there's definitely best practices there. And, you know, different people have different comfort levels or opinions about them. But I think great examples here are, you know, how do we give feedback, right? Is it a, oh, we're very polite and nice and we only give real unfiltered feedback once a year, right? Like that can be really problematic problematic because by a year from now, like it's kind of too late, right? You've already been frustrated or not happy with performance for a long time. There can be more serious consequences versus if we set up a culture where we say, hey, we're really honest with each other day to day, giving and, and receiving feedback on a regular basis, and we say, it's the safe. It doesn't mean that if you get negative feedback, your job is on the line. We expect that everyone's going to make mistakes. People are going to have disagreements about what's the most effective way to move forward. And so exchanging feedback is actually an expression of trust, not an expression of sort of negativity or mistrust. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so it depends on, the, you know, I guess the culture of what the, you're saying the founder sets up and how they, they communicate. You know, another piece of I think you're getting to that culture is, you know, maybe clarity and humility, right? I think those are two words that, you know, founders, if they, you know, develop, um, could also help them. But, uh, you know, from your perspective, how do you think clarity and humility impacts founders when they're trying to express their needs in the high pressure startup world? And what does that mean from, um, or what have you seen that means for team dynamics and, and overall the success of the startup? So this is another way I, I sort of, you know, break down sort of the challenges that people often have in terms of asking for what they want and sort of building influence yeah. is that, you know, often you have a set of people who kind of aren't asking enough, right? Like maybe they aren't articulating what they're asking, or maybe they know what they want, but they aren't saying it out loud. You know, they're too afraid to have the awkward conversation or to make the ask. They're not sure what the sort of interpersonal consequences are going to be. And so for those folks, the challenge really is about clarity, right? Like, let me get clear on what I want, because you know, if it's if it's not clear to me, it's certainly not going to be clear to anyone else. And, you know, can I be clear with other people, right? Can I actually, you know, say it out loud, come out of the closet and stand proudly for, yeah, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I want. Because 
you would be amazed how many people are kind of hiding that, right? They're not fully standing for what they want, you know, either internally with their employees, externally as a business, right? They have these ideas that it's not safe to, to say that. And of course, that's natural and understandable. People get scared. And of course, I've got a ton of compassion for that. But for, for them, I think of the, the challenge really about getting really clear and being clear with others. And so on the flip side, I think then you've got the more entitled people, right? Maybe mm-hmm. those folks are really great at asking. They pepper everyone around them all the time mm-hmm. with, do this, do that. I want this, do that. And so those folks are are really practiced at articulating what they want and and at standing for it. But often they're not actually listening to the response very well, right? Mm. Because if you were listening to the response, you would know, oh, barking orders probably isn't getting me good results, right? How is mm. that impacting my relationships, right? Um, am I really getting yeses or am I getting kind of halfway yeses or am I getting no's that I'm not really hearing, right? So when you come into these these sort of ass with entitlement, it it can actually be really hard to really listen and learn because the reality is mostly when we ask for things, we get some form of no, right? It's pretty rare that someone says, hell yeah, absolutely, 100%. I'm off to do it immediately, right? Mm -hmm. We usually Mm -hmm. get some degree of reticence. And if we're not listening to that, we're not not learning at the rate that we want to be in order to be more effective with our requests. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for for them, you know, really the challenge often is humility to say, oh, it's not that people owe me yes or people have to do what I say, but I'm actually not going to come in with orders. I'm going to come in with with humble requests of like, would you please do this as opposed mm-hmm. to I need this by, you know, 5 p.m. Friday, because often that practice of humility of reminding themselves that nobody owes me anything. Right. Like exactly. all I can do is ask nicely. That can have a really powerful effect in terms of helping them own the impact of their behavior and starting to listen a lot more carefully to what they're getting in response when they're making requests. Exactly. So it sounds like just, you know, effective communication is, it seems to be a, an issue in, in general in, in the workspace with the mug folks. But, you know, how much is that, you know, the, the responsibility, would you say, of the leader, you know, first being clear with themselves? Um, and then, you know, if, also when they're seeing, if they're seeing the employees maybe struggling to be able to express what they're looking for in order to grow or how to, how they'd like to communicate or what they're, they're looking to, to get from the founders or from the team. Or do you think is it the leader's, um, responsibility to keep sharing their side and then trying to make suggestions to, or guess, uh, to help get it out of the, you know, the employee and, and, and reciprocate an effective communication? That's a really good question. Cause I think this is actually an area that, that trips up, uh, in mm. a lot of founders and, and execs. Mm. Um, because I think either they say, oh, this is not my problem. Like, it's not my responsibility. You know, this is everyone else's problem. Or they're overtaking responsibility. They're saying, I need every single member of my team to be happy every moment of the day. Right. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's kind of an impossible task. Right. We're, sure, we're human sure. beings. We're not going to be happy all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, it's 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 tricky to, you know, get, get super precise, you know, when, mm. when we're generalizing about what that right balance is, but mm. typically like the, the, the guidance, you know, that I, I share with clients is around taking responsibility for yourself and for the outcomes mm. you want. Right. Mm. So it's not anyone else's job to take care of your feelings, how you feel day to day. That's your job, right? You need to make the choices that help you feel good day to day, achieve the things that you want to achieve in life. Um, and generally just be, be okay moment to moment. Um, and, and so that, 
you know, the tricky thing of that is, okay, if you're taking responsibility for yourself, well, usually that means taking responsibility for your impact. Oh, gosh, when I when I communicate with this person in this way, right, they're feeling a certain way and I'm not getting the, the outcome I want, right? It's like, okay, maybe if I, um, you know, speak really harshly with my reports, okay, maybe they do it, but then I kind of feel distant from them and it feels a little bit lonely. Like, do they really get me? Do they really understand? Um, and so maybe you're not actually happy with that outcome. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a tricky balance to say, um, I take responsibility for, for myself. I'm not going to try and take responsibility for the feelings of everyone around me, but I am going to own the impact of my actions, right? It's not like I'm not a participant in the system. Of course I am, right? And the choices mm-hmm. I make, the way I behave, it has a really big impact on other people and on whether I get the thing I want or not. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned one example, which was, you know, how you effectively um, communicate. So you said, you know, can you please, you know, get this done versus, you know, I need you to get this done. Um, can you share maybe as the last uh, question here, can you provide maybe some other examples of of the impact of well-phrased requests on individual growth, team dynamics, and overall startup uh, trajectory? And then maybe what are some other strategies that founders can use to improve their ability to effectively communicate with, especially with the fast-paced environment? People are coming and going so quickly. The team is growing quickly. Um, you're trying to keep up with, with the demands and the growth of the clients, the, the team, and et cetera. Um, maybe there's little tricks here that you can, or little um, phrases that you can share that they can help them to get them through those. Sure. So, um, you know, one, one classic that I, I recommend to everyone is um, uh, the, 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 the framework that's essentially, you know, when when you do X, right, and you want that X to be something uncontroversial, right? So it's not like when you're an asshole, because when you're an asshole is controversial, right? It's like, mm-hmm. who, who's to say what that is? But when you mm-hmm. say, you know, when when you take more than, you know, two days to respond to my emails, uh, and then I feel why, right? And so so maybe I feel, I feel nervous, or I feel disappointed, or I feel frustrated. Um, and so what's nice about this way of giving feedback is that it, it avoids it avoids arguments because I think a lot of the ways that feedback fails is when it creates an argument in itself, right? And so when you make a claim about someone else that they don't agree with, like you were being an asshole in this meeting, right? Um, then they're going to argue with you about whether or not they were or they weren't. And you, you're you not actually getting to process the sort of meat of the feedback. Um, and, you know, similarly, when you talk about the consequences, right? If you're talking about something subjective, right? Again, people can argue, oh, you know, did this have a negative effect on the customer? I don't know. Did it? Didn't? Like, we can't know for sure. Whereas if you focus on factual things, things that are maybe a video camera would observe or, you know, a Zoom meeting recording would observe, or when you focus on just your thoughts and feelings, right? Because no one can know your thoughts and feelings other than you, right? And especially if you're in a manager relationship with someone else, you know, your feelings really matter. If you're frustrated with your direct report, like those feelings are extremely relevant. And so I think often people find this counterintuitive because they want to provide a bunch of data. They say, oh, you know, these are all the reasons that my opinion is right and you shouldn't do this and I'm right and you're wrong, as opposed to saying, you know what? Like data could show different things, right? You can always make multiple arguments with data. It's more subjective than people like to admit. And so when they really bring it back to that sort of factual feedback, it can be a lot easier to have a back and forth conversation because you're just saying, hey, when you do this, like I feel frustrated, and yeah, I wish you would, you know, try doing things a different way. Because of course, I don't want to feel frustrated. I want us to have a really positive relationship. And so when you're coming at it from that factual, non-controversial, 
humble request way, you get such a better response on average than when you're coming in saying, how dare you do this thing, the meeting that was so disruptive that really hurt, you know, the relationship with the customer. Um, If you do this again, you're fired. Right. Um, you know, we, we might want to do that, you know, if we're feeling frustrated or scared or what have you. But um, if, if you can get to that sort of more precise, factual place, it sort of helps build that relationship over time. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I know throughout my career, I've been around those situations as, you know, back when I was an engineer over 90 years ago and, and working in the oil and gas industry, you know, that's how was the general way of how folks communicated. Unfortunately, it's very, um, you know, very demeaning and just, just kind of the, the personality, you, personalities you describe. So I'm very used to on the receiving end. And then, you know, I learned, you know, as, as I became an entrepreneur, how to become better at it, expressing it because you know how it feels to receive it. So yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of people are just not aware of how they, they communicate or that's just become the normal. But I agree that it's a super important of, uh, of being able to build trust and, um, with your team. Um, I mean, that's what, that's what I found. The folks that I've worked with, the leaderships or both ways are the ones who are able to communicate effectively. And I felt trusted and, receiving and giving feed, uh, you know, uncomfortable feedback with. Totally. And, and to me, I think, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, this is so soft. Like, how do I, yeah. you know, how do I be, be aggressive or be tough? You know, when maybe someone is doing something that is putting their job at risk, like maybe I do feel like I might have to let them go. And yeah. so, you know, to, to me, my response there is like, yeah, we can still set boundaries, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course we need to have boundaries, right? If you cross this certain line, like this is going to be the consequence. But we don't have to do it from a place of blame or wrongness, right? Because people are generally good, right? It's not like we have all these malicious people working in our companies, right? Everybody's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, it makes the conversation a lot easier if we can acknowledge like, yeah, it's coming from a good place and I need to set some boundaries. And so the nice thing about that is instead of coming with a threat of like, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. We can just say, hey, it's up to you what choices you make in your life, right? You can behave this way. You can behave that way. You can do whatever you want. But I'm telling mm-hmm. you, this is the boundary I'm setting. That if you cross this, I'm going to let you go, right? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you do this thing, like maybe I'm going to be frustrated, right? Or I'm going to sort of lose trust and sort of whether, you know, I can have you work on these types of projects. Makes, and, so, and so that way for them, like there's a, there's a, there, there's more space for them to have, sort of own their own autonomy of like, gosh, like, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to behave? As opposed to trying to directly control their behavior, which is a losing battle. Yeah, makes sense. This has been great, Kenneth. I'd uh, love to dig deeper on another another time, but uh, you know, we're shifting towards the personal rapid fire questions of the show. But before we get into that, is there anything else you want to add in terms of you know any founders who are listening in or maybe interested in in you know learning more about what you do that you'd like to share with them? Sure. Yeah. If you're, if you're interested in executive coaching, uh, I work with uh, startup founders and executives. Uh, feel free to check out my website. It's kberger.com. K-B-E-R-G-E-R. Awesome. Cool. Ready to go into the, the rapid fire questions? Kenneth? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. What's uh, one activity you enjoy outside of work that you find gets you into flow state? I love skiing and tennis. Those are my sports. Um, and they're, yeah, they're, they're favorites of mine because they're social, they're physical, um, and they give me a lot of fulfillment, but they're low stakes, right? It doesn't matter if I'm bad at them. Yeah, <laughs> love it. What's uh, one piece of advice you wish you had known? If you can go back and tell your the 25-year-old younger self, what would you tell them? Ooh, I, I would definitely tell myself to let go of being right. I think I spent... <laughs> 
a lot of the early part of my career very attached to how right I was a lot of the time. And, you know, I think it it gave me a lot of confidence, but it also hurt a lot of my relationships. And um, yeah, that's a, that's one I've internalized. And yeah, I, I keep warning it every day, right? Let go of being right. Mm, fantastic advice, yeah. What, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently uh, maybe facing in order to continue your coaching and consulting business? Or is there anything else that keeps you up at night these days from, when it comes from a business perspective? Uh, my my business is going pretty well, uh, despite the the you know economic doldrums we're in. But mm. for me, my big challenge right now is around writing because I'm I'm writing a book about my my process. I follow with clients to help them ask for what they want, and that's been fun because I'm I'm learning learning how to write a book, right? Which you know, of course, I've done short form business writing, but this is a whole new world figuring out how to share ideas at a larger scale, and it's been kind of fun and tricky figuring it out. Oh, that's. That's awesome. Do you have any uh, any preview you can share when to expect it or the name of the book so we can look up for it? Uh, the, the book's still in progress, so TBD okay. when it'll be out, but it's called okay. Ask for What You Want. Ask for What You Want. Love it. Um, speaking of book or resources, is there any you know any three favorite resources or um, maybe books, whether people or mentors or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I love, um, I love conscious leadership group. Um, so they have a book called 15 commitments of conscious leadership that I think provides a really nice sort of handbook for some best practices around, um, just, just behaviors that are going to sort of help companies function more effectively. And so I, I like them because to me, they toe this line between being in the operational world, you know, in, in the tech world and really operating in that, um, you know, sort of more coaching space of like thinking about what are sort of principles to sort of be more effective and be more calm and happy in your life. Um, so, so that's, yeah. so yeah, so that's one I love. Uh, I also have been loving um, learning about um, parts work, which is kind of a expression of uh, this, this uh, psychological technique called internal family systems mm -hmm. uh, by a guy named Richard Schwartz. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's got a bunch of books on that, uh, one's called no bad parts, but I think that's a really effective way to work with the parts of us that get scared, right. To not say, oh, I hate that part of myself that gets nervous or doesn't think I have what it takes, but to actually do the opposite and bring a ton of compassion for that part and say, of course you're scared, right? Of course. Like if you think your whole, um, you know, sort of success is predicated on this one thing, of course you get scared. And mm -hmm. so that, that that approach of really taking care of our parts that get scared um, to me is an incredibly effective way to sort of build um, behavior change and some of these things that might be really tricky to change otherwise. Mm. Love it. Um, Kenneth, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's, you know, personally, business, financial, life, there's no right answer. How do you look at it today in your career? Well, for me, um, you know, it's it's a portfolio of things. I think it's, I think about just how do I feel day to day? So that, you know, has a lot to do with um, sort of physical health and mental health. So think about how to take care of myself and sort of make sure my, my days generally feel pretty good. I think about impact, right, of, you know, how to, um, you know, how to create the impact that I want in the world, right, and sort of feel good about, you know, the way I'm spending my days. Mm -hmm. And I think about, um, sort of growth or improvement, that there's something really fulfilling about 
you know, getting better at, at tennis and skiing, getting better at writing a book, getting re- better at coaching my clients, or even guesting on podcasts and sharing my ideas with the world. So, um, you know, those, I think those are, those are big three for me and maybe relationships too, right? Of course, right. How, how connected do I feel to my family, to my friends, to my clients, to the people who matter to me in the world? Awesome. That's great. Um, this has been really great, Kenneth. I appreciate you sharing all these insights. Um, if anybody is interested to learn more, uh, please make sure to reach out to Kenneth. Um, so Kenneth, where can founders get in touch with you? You mentioned your website. Anywhere else that's the best way to get in touch with you and, and learn about you and your company? Yeah, so I'd say check out my website at kberger.com, K-B-E-R-G-E-R. Or you can find me on LinkedIn where I share ideas and articles. Uh, so you'd be welcome to uh, connect or follow me there. So it's uh, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash kberger. Awesome. So we'll add the, the website, uh, your LinkedIn page onto our, the show notes. So if you guys want to check it out, make sure you say hi and uh, say hi to, to check out Kenneth. So thank you so much, Kenneth. I appreciate you joining today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.